Hi, this is Carrie. And this is Sandy. And this is Crime Bitches Countdown. Welcome to part two of Police Officers Who Become Killers. We hope you enjoy the remaining five cases we have in store for you. So, on to part two of Police Who Turn Into Killers. I'm going to start us off with a man named Sidney Dorsey. Ooh, why does he sound familiar? I have no idea, because <laughs> um, I'm pretty sure you don't know him. Probably not. But you might. Who knows? So, this was in Georgia. Uh, he was DeKalb County's first black sheriff. Ooh. Uh, served from 1996 to 2000. And um, I don't know what you know about sheriffs, but uh, they have to be voted in. Okay. So it becomes a very political process. Ooh. Um yeah, I when I worked for the sheriff's office and they were getting ready to change, like somebody else had been elected. Oh my god, it was a nightmare. Lots of political stuff going on. So he uh, had someone running against him in two thousand. It was a man named Derwin Brown, and he won. His campaign was all about the corruption that was happening under Dorsey. And he hmm. wanted to clean it all up. That was kind of his campaign. And he won. Uh, Derwin Brown got elected. Now, that process takes months mm -hmm. uh, from when you get elected to when you actually take office. Right. So Brown won the election in 2000, and he was planning the major changes, like I said, firing those who were corrupt or who got the job and weren't qualified, like friends, like he hired in friends or whatever. Right. Um, he, Dorsey had told multiple people that Brown would never assume office. Including a woman he was having an affair with, so, you know. <laughs> okay. Um, Dorsey had his own uh, private security firm. Okay. But, but let's talk about the corruption for a minute, because I think I have to tell you the corruption before I can get into the rest. Now, okay. I am going to tell you that uh, he was being investigated for corruption, and after this whole case was over, um, he was charged with things for corruption, and some of the things that they found while they were doing the investigating, you'll just love it. He regularly instructed deputies to chauffeur him and his family members for their personal benefit. Oh, that's nice. On the clock, being paid by the county. Uh-huh. Uh, this included picking up his kids from school. He had deputies drive to Chattanooga, Tennessee, and Statesboro, Georgia, Georgia to assist his children with auto repairs. <laughs> okay. While they were on the clock. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He had a deputy accompany him and his family to a four-day trip to Disney World. Now, I'm not sure why, because... Did he feel like he needed protection? I feel like, kind of, because one of the things he said later in interviews was, a sheriff is a 24-hour job, and, um, you know, you're always the sheriff, so somebody could come after you. But in Disney World? Yeah, like, I, I don't know. And the person got paid by the county. Jeez. He utilized the in-house lawyer for personal legal services for himself, his family, and his friends. He used on-duty deputies to staff his private security firm. And it, if they were on the clock, mm -hmm. they got paid by the county. If they were off the clock, they got paid overtime. Or um, they were compensated with time off. So, complete abuse of power. Complete. I mean, he just... It was his personal plaything. Right. So... His private security firm, um, he had a former employee 
named Patrick Cuffey. And he had hired him to work in the internal affairs division of the sheriff's office. Mm-hmm. He called Cuffy one night and he was like, I need you to come over. And so Cuffy went and Dorsey handed him a note that said, kill Derwin Brown, which was the mm, guy who won yeah. the election. Uh, Cuffy was like, yeah, no, I, <laughs> I don't think so. Um, thanks, but no thanks. Yeah. <laughs> so Dorsey was like, oh, you don't want to do it? Well, why don't you get three other former employees and they'll help you? And I guess that changed his mind. Because I don't see why it would. Like, uh, me neither. If I'm not willing to kill a person myself, why would adding three more people to it make a difference? And I'm going to go back to the more cooks in the kitchen. Yes. The more people you have involved, the more likely someone is going to break. Yep. But anyway. So he was like, sure, cool. So he got with uh, Melvin Walker, David Ramsey, and Paul Skyers. Uh, he met with them and he told them what Dorsey wanted. And that Dorsey would be willing to give each of them any position that they wanted in the sheriff's department if he was reelected. Hmm. Because once Brown would be murdered, he there would, would be, well, there would be an interim and then they would do a reelection. And hmm. more than likely, they'd reelect him was his thought. So the four men, they did surveillance. Skiers provided a weapon, which was a Tech 9mm semi-automatic handgun that was modified with a homemade silencer. Hmm. They decided that Walker would be the shooter. And over the course of three months, they met and discussed how they were going to do this and did the surveillance. December 15th of 2000, Dorsey told Cuffy, it, it's got to be done. Like, we got to do this tonight because they were weeks away from Brown Him. coming in and taking office. Right. So they went to the house. Brown had been out. He got out of his car. He had pulled back up to the house, got out of his car. And this is so sad. He was actually carrying flowers for his wife because it was her birthday. Aww. And he was shot 12 times Dang. in his driveway. So, of course, everyone suspected Dorsey. Of course. Um, there was no proof right away, but uh, Brown's wife was like, I know he had something to do with this. She was very persistent about that. Mm -hmm. Well, they arrested Cuffy on a totally unrelated charge, which I don't know what it was. For all I know, it could be a DUI. I have mm -hmm. no freaking idea. And when they arrested him, they brought it up. And he was like, cool, I'll tell you everything. Skiers also assisted police and led them to the murder weapon. Hmm. Um, Cuffy and Skiers were given immunity for their testimony, which I don't necessarily agree with. Yeah. I understand, I understand the necessity of it, but I also feel like... You still helped kill a man. Yeah, like, you need and to you pay need, some kind of exactly. price. You, you should be held accountable for that. Like, you should be given... Okay, fine. Get a lesser sentence. Give him, like, five or ten years. Exactly. But something. Exactly. You've killed a dude. I'm not saying five years is even enough, but right. something. Well, at any rate, Dorsey was found guilty of malice murder, uh, two counts of violations of the Georgia RICO Act, a violation of oath by public officer and theft by taking in violation of duties as a public officer. He kept continuing to say he was innocent, that he didn't have Brown's blood on his hands. That's what he would say. Mm -hmm. um, that was during the trial and at sentencing, which was in 2005. But in 2007, he finally admitted that, yeah, he did it. He got life in prison. Walker and Ramsey were acquitted in 2002 at the state level. But this was a federal, federal. level also. Yep. So they were charged federally. 
and found guilty of violating a federal murder-for-hire statute and sentenced to life in prison. What do you mean? Murder-for-hire is illegal? You didn't know that? Oh. Well, there goes my retirement plans. Yeah. I mean, like, I know that you had all this money you wanted to spend and just take out your enemies. You know. Oh, so many of them. George in the nursing home who took your cane. (laughs) Whatever. Uh, Hey, I'm planning on being a crashity old woman. Well... You're already halfway there, so. <laughs> I meant on the crotchety part. I, I know. <laughs> but you're old, too, really, so. Exactly. I'm, I'm, I'm already getting there. Mm-hmm. So. Oh, my God. Wow. So that's Sydney Dorsey. And, I mean, like, this is the thing when we talk about these police who kill. I mean, you can see from what we've covered in the last uh, episode is that there's all different reasons. Yeah. I mean, it just runs the gamut of It really reasons. does. Uh, Alright, so we're going to talk about Gerard Schaefer. Now, he's one that um, I think a lot of people know. He was uh, given the nickname the cop, or the killer cop. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, he's an interesting fella. He <laughs> originally wanted to be a priest or a teacher, but he failed at both. The church said he didn't have enough faith, and he got fired from teaching because he was imposing his political and moral values on students. Oh, dear God. <laughs> he's one of those. Um, so, since he couldn't be a priest or a teacher, he was like, hmm, I'll be a cop. Yeah, that's way better. Yeah. Because I failed at the whole morality faith thing. <laughs> and, and shaping young minds. I can't do that either. So, hand me a gun and let me defend people. Yeah, yeah. that's gonna work right. So, it gets, it gets worse because we're gonna see something in a second here that we saw in a previous case as well. Oh, you mean he failed his psyche eval too? I can't imagine so why. anyway. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why this happens, but this appears to happen a lot, and that's very concerning to me. You're telling me? <laughs> why even have it? So, in 1968, he married a woman named Martha Fogg, and she divorced him in 1970, citing extreme cruelty, but I couldn't find out exactly what that was. Um, but given uh, his scenarios, I, I, I don't doubt that it was very cruel. He applied to several police departments, and he got rejected by the Broward County Sheriff's Office after failing his psych tests. But there was a small town office, uh, the Wilton Manors Police Department, and they were like, hey, nobody else wants you, we'll take you. Yeah. No problem. That's how it works. Jeez. I don't know, like, because you live in a small town, you think crazy isn't crazy? I don't know. Crazy's crazy everywhere. That's what I'm saying. But apparently we don't care if crazy or cops. (laughs) I'm just saying. In March, so concerning. March 1972, he did receive a commendation for his role in a drug bust, but he was fired in April. Um, <laughs> so, you know, it took a month. Uh, different reports on why. There was some, some suggestions that he was taking traffic violations, female violators, mm-hmm. and looking up their info in the databases and then calling them and asking them for dates, which yeah, would ew. be highly unethical. Highly. So, that that is what I could find on why he got fired. Whether or not that's true, I don't know. Well, dating apps weren't a thing back then, so we couldn't ask any girls to murder his wife. No, and, and I'm assuming they're not ones that he necessarily pulled over. Because I was going to say, if, like, if he pulled him over, he could just ask him then. Yeah. He uh, started working for the Martin County Sheriff's Department. Now, here's my question, too. If you got fired from another police department, why did the Sheriff's Department just right. hire you? Shouldn't there be... 
Now, okay, this was the 70s. I don't know what communication was like, but I would think you would do your due diligence. Exactly. Call your previous... I mean, there were still references back then. There were still phones. I really feel like they play this game sometimes with these with these uh, bad cops and they're like, toss them department to department. I don't get it. I feel like that happens in the military, too. Yeah, that... Well, and then we see it with nurses, right? We saw that exactly. in nurses. So, uh... <laughs> He was there for less than a month before he made a dumb mistake, as I do the air quotes. (laughs) Um, And that is literally what he told his boss, like, I made a dumb mistake. So, let's talk about his dumb mistake. July 21st, 1972, he picked up two hitchhikers, 17-year-old Pamela Wells and 18-year-old Nancy Trotter. He told them that hitchhiking in the county was illegal, which wasn't true. But uh, he told them that anyway and said, I'll take you home. They were like, sure, no problem. So he took them home, and he told them, because hitchhiking was illegal, if they wanted, when he was off duty in the morning, he'd come pick them up, take them to the beach, and uh, they could hang out for the day. And they were like, cool, awesome. So he picked them up, didn't take them to the beach, because of course he didn't. Did he take them to the woods? <sighs> Why do you know these things? Oh, jeez. <laughs> At the woods, he threatened to turn them into white slaves and sell them into prostitution. <laughs> Sorry. I mean, it's funny, but it's not. Like, it it's such a real thing. But... I know, but it's just like, that's what you went with? Really? Anyway. Yeah. So he bound them and left them balanced on tree roots with nooses around their necks. So basically, like, if their feet slipped, they would hang themselves. Oh, wow. And then, because he's so bright, he was like, I'll be back. I'm going to come back. You stay here. Because <laughs> you can go anywhere. <laughs> and the girls managed to escape. Imagine that. Because they still had voice boxes. Yep. And they ran to the road, and of all things that could happen, they found a police car. Was it his? No. Thank goodness. No. God, no. And then, because killers are smart and we know this, mm-hmm. um, they identified him very easily because he had told them his name. <laughs> I guess he figured... His real name. Yeah, I guess he figured that, you know, like, they weren't going to be able to tell because he was going to kill them. I don't I don't know. Yeah, that's But smart. even so, uh, why? Yeah. Mm. So, uh, he went back to the scene, found out they escaped, and called his boss. And he was like, I made a really dumb mistake. You're going to be mad at me. That's literally what he said. You're going to be mad at me. Yeah. Yeah, I am. <laughs> In fact, I think I'll send you to prison. <laughs> he said... He was trying to scare the girls out of hitchhiking and just took it too far. Uh. Yeah. His boss was like, so, no, you're fired. And uh, on top of that, you're going to be charged with false imprisonment and two counts of aggravated assault. Good. He went to trial and he pled guilty to one assault charge. He was sentenced to a year in jail, followed by three years probation. Now, there's a couple things that happened. While he was out on bond, because they let him bond out, uh, two other girls went missing. 17-year-old Susan Place and 16-year-old Georgia Jessup. Now, Susan's parents said they left with a man named Jerry Shepard to go to the beach. Now, first of all, Gerard Schaefer, (laughs) Jerry Jerry Shepard. Wow. Same initials. Why? Why? Be smart. You know, call yourself like Alan Jones. Something completely different. And take them somewhere different. That's not the beach. Well, here's another thought. How about you don't take your car and pick them up at the house? Because the mother got the license plate number. Which 
good for mom. Although, why I would let my kid go with some guy I've never heard of. No, well, you mind. But 70s. Yep, it was exactly. the 70s. Um, the bad news is it took them six months before they linked it to Schaefer because I think they just putzed around with that license plate number. I don't think they really investigated Seriously? it. Yeah. Um, and by the time they linked it to him, he was already in prison. Well, that's good. Did the girls get found? So let's talk about that. We'll get there. Okay. In April 1972, they found skeletal remains, and they had to be identified by dental records. Uh, they searched Schaefer's mother's house. They found a stash of women's jewelry. Um, I apologize. I thought I wrote this down, but I didn't. The skeletal remains were the Susan girls. Place and Georgia Jessup. Yeah. Um, so they searched Schaefer's mother's house, and they found a stash of women's jewelry, 100 pages of writing... Uh, and sketches that depicted mutilation and murders of young women, news, newspaper clippings about two women missing since 1969, pieces of ID belonging to vanished hitchhikers Colette Goodenough and Barbara Wilcox, who were both 19. None of that looks good. So he's done this more than twice. Yeah. The news clips referred to the 1969 disappearance of Carmen Halleck, and items of her jewelry were also found. And a gold-filled tooth that was identified by her dentist. Okay, first of all, come on, people. Don't carry around evidence. Don't keep evidence. Especially one that's linked. Literally, you kept one of her bones. Yeah, basically. And it's identifiable. That's, you know. There's DNA in that. Not that DNA was a big thing back then, but, like, literally, her tooth... One of the top two things that is used to identify a person, even back then. Fingerprints and teeth. And you kept one. Well, and jewelry. I mean, some of the jewelry that women have is so distinctive. Yeah. That it is easily identifiable. Exactly. Um, Now, like, granted, like, the necklace I'm wearing. I'm sure other people have this necklace. I'm positive they do. Right. But how many people in the area have it? And that's kind of where, like, if, if my body was found and this necklace was there, Frank would know it was me. My husband, I'm sorry, would know it was me because he knows my jewelry. Well, now I'm going to take note of your jewelry, too. (laughs) I have a lot of it. I should document it. You should. Uh, So the second news clip was the 1969 disappearance of Lee Bonadies. She had been a neighbor of Schaefer's, and he had actually complained that she would undress with the curtains open, taunting him because, you know, it's all about him. Uh, Of course. Uh, Her jewelry was also found in that stash. There was jewelry from a 14-year-old named Mary Briscolina who had disappeared with 13-year-old Elsie Farmer in 1972. So, when he was at trial, he only got tried for Jessup in place. Because um, the bodies? They found bodies? Well, because a lot of these were circumstantial. So, he didn't. they didn't have, a, they didn't have bodies or they didn't have enough proof. Mm-hmm. So they, he was wound up sentenced, uh, two life sentences concurrent, but all his appeals were rejected. Now, in December 1955, another inmate slashed his throat and stabbed him in both of his eyes. Ooh. So I, I think it's safe to say he was angry. Yeah, just a bit. It said there was no uh, motive given for the murder. However, Schaefer had been a jailhouse snitch, mm. which is never a good thing. No. Now, something fun, not fun, oh god, none of this is fun, I'm sorry. That was such a bad thing to say. Something interesting, uh, skeletal remains were actually identified this year as Susan Poole, 15 years old, 
and they think she might have been another victim of his. Wow. She disappeared in 1972, like, right around Christmas, Mm -hmm. and and this is so messed up. But when he was uh, sentenced, it was around the holidays, Mm -hmm. and so the judge let him stay out until (gasps) after Christmas before sending him to jail. Now, here's my thing. You killed people. Yeah. Um, what? probably not somebody you want to let loose. Just, just, just saying. So. You murdered, but it's good to spend time with your family. No, no, I don't think so. Yeah, so she disappeared around Christmas and evidence shows a very similar MO mm-hmm. to him, like being tied to a tree. There was evidence she was tied to a tree. So it's being investigated currently. Actually, I think they just found her remains, uh, last week. Wow. Like, I mean, real recent. Crazy. So. I mean, he's dead. He can't admit to it. I was going to say, yeah. He's dead and gone. Oh, darn. But interesting. Very. All right. We're going to go back to Russia. Yay, Russia. We're going to talk about a guy, I believe it's pronounced Sergei Tkach. Hmm. Uh, He was also known as the Pologorsky Maniac. Why are they always, why do Europeans always name their people? Well, I mean, like, nickname. a lot of them have nicknames. I, I didn't think about it. I just it. think it's funny. <laughs> anyway, go ahead. He served as a Soviet police detective who performed forensic exhumations until he was fired in 1979 for falsifying evidence. Oh. So that's not cool. No. So uh, he pieced out of there and went to Ukraine and got another job working for the cops. Imagine because that. Because I guess countries don't talk to each other. Apparently not. He committed crimes for over 20 years. And used his knowledge as a police officer to get away with crimes. One of the things I thought was kind of interesting was uh, he would lure young girls away uh, and rape and strangle them with a cord. Or strangle them and then rape them. Mm. Either way. Mm-hmm. Um, but he would do this sometimes near railroad tracks that had been recently tarred over. Because it would throw off scent dogs. I mean, that's kind of smart. That is kind of smart. I'm not I'm not saying that's cool, but no, it's kind of smart. No, not cool at all, but kind of smart. And that's why I say he used his knowledge as a police officer. Yeah. I mean, he really did. A, a lot of these criminals did, but uh, some of them more, more effectively than yeah, others. more than others. Um, his first murder was in 1980. He murdered uh, girls and women between the ages of 8 and 18. He wasn't captured until 2005. Dang. The thing about him, too, is that a lot of innocent men were arrested for his crimes. Um, Some of them tried and convicted. Wow. One was the father of a girl who he'd killed, that Takashi had killed. Mm -hmm. The girl's father was arrested and committed suicide. Oh, that's terrible. um, While in jail. Which is, yeah, I mean, it's terrible. He was blamed for it, and he was innocent, and... And everybody probably thought he killed himself because he felt guilty. God, it's so terrible. Um, he was tried for 37 murders, but he claims to have killed more than 100. Wow. You want to talk about people being dumbasses? Yeah. Uh, one good way to get caught when you're killing people is to go to the funeral, because I don't know if you know this, but when murders are committed, a lot of times, if they don't have a suspect especially, they'll go to the funeral and keep Mm -hmm. an eye out. Um, so, he went to the funeral of a nine-year-old girl. And actually, her friends are the ones who realized it was him. They they recognized him as someone that had they had seen her talking to, like, right before she was wow. killed. So, they, of course, told their parents, went to the police, and he had, like, taken off once the girls were, like, looking at him. Mm-hmm. Um, but they caught up to him pretty quick. Why would you go? Sick fascination. Ugh. Oh, I also left out, it was his friend's daughter. 
Wow. So that's another reason. It was a friend of his daughter. Wow. Uh, he was 53 when he was arrested in 2005, and he was sentenced to life in prison. And then I just have to tell you what happened after that. Like, this is a short story, I know. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> so, more things that are disturbing. There was a 16-year-old girl, and mind you, he was killing girls and women 8 to 18. 16-year-old mm-hmm. girl who saw interviews with him and stuff and really wanted to meet him. So she started visiting him in jail and fell in love with him. Of course she did. <laughs> and in 2015, they married. Oh, ew. In Ukraine, you can have conjugal visits. Ew. So they had a daughter together also. Ew. Uh, the, the police officers would not let the daughter visit, though. And eventually this girl stopped visiting as well. She said it was because people were... The underground government was coming after her or some. So she's a crazy nut job, too. Well, obviously. And Takash died soon after she stopped visiting um, at the age of 66. Uh, and the police there are like, oh, it's because his heart was broken. Nah, whatever. Yeah, I'm sorry, but you just bred with a man that's a complete psychopath and you think your child has half a chance. Literally, only half a chance. Now, even in the best of circumstances, kids only have half a chance. And you just added genetics to that poor child's, you know, knocks against it. Yeah. Yeah, well, and I have questions now. Granted, again, this is another country, but at 16, where were your parents? Mm Mm-hmm. Because my parents sure as shit wouldn't have let me be oh, talking to some convict. No. Especially no. a convict uh, convicted for killing girls. Right. Blows my mind. I am his perfect age range <laughs> of victims. Let's marry him. Yeah, she and her whole thing was like she didn't do anything wrong and she didn't believe that he really committed that many murders. And even if he did, like, the past is the past. And <laughs> I'm sorry, no. <laughs> Like, there are some things I'll forgive. Murder's not one of them. No? No. No. Sorry. Hmm. <laughs> I'm a What about justified murder? No. Hmm. Hmm. There's, like, literally I can only think of one thing that I might, 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 if there was a parent that had their that their children were murdered by somebody and then they then murdered their children's murderer. Okay, that's fair. That's literally the only thing I could think that I might be like All right, you got <laughs> you I'll give you that one. Look, sometimes you got to take the law into your old hands and I'm so not advocating that, but no. I'm just saying. No, but yeah. As we learn, the police are not the most upstanding such the people in every situation. So, I am going to tell you about a case that I, I actually uh, read about for a couple years. Like, I knew about it. And it was not solved until, um, oh my gosh, when was it? It wasn't that long ago. 2012? I think is when it was solved. Wow. So, and the the murder happened in, like, 1986. So, probably by, like, the 90s I was reading this case. I have books on this case and Mm -hmm. everything. So, I'm going to tell you about Stephanie Stephanie Lazarus. Hmm. She's an uber bitch. So, I have to give you a little bit of history first. Um, Okay. She attended UCLA. And while there, she hung out with this guy named John Ruetten. Hmm. 
John uh, and her had some kind of a relationship. Uh, it's debatable what it was. Okay. She said they were dating. He said it was never serious. They just had sex. Who knows? That sounds about right. <laughs> <laughs> she said we were dating. Yeah, anyway. Um, now, she really loved him. Like, she was all about him. And he kind of obviously was like, Not. whatever. Now, my understanding is that they had sex for years. I mean, this was like a, this carried on for a while. Mm -hmm. But I'm guessing he was seeing other people as well. Now, after UCLA, Stephanie joined the LAPD. And John got engaged to a 29-year-old woman named Sherry Rasmussen. Um, Stephanie found out. And she was a little butthurt over it. Mm -hmm. She called John when she found out. And she was like, I need to see you. So he met up with her. And she was like, please, please, please don't get married. I love you. Don't do this. And then she begged him to have sex with her. So he did. Like you do. Yeah. But then he still got married. Of course. Now, according to John, he did tell Sherry about it. Mm-hmm. Whether or not that's true, no one knows. Right. But Stephanie, or I mean, Sherry knew about Stephanie because Stephanie started harassing her. She would show up to her workplace. She would go to her house uninvited. She would be like, if I can't have John, no one will. Mm -mm. All that kind of drama. Mm. And Sherry was like, get the fuck out of my face. Like, right. Too bad, so sad. Um, February 24th, 1986, Ruetten left for work in the morning. Rasmussen called in sick. Uh, Ruetten returned home at like around 6 o'clock and he noticed the garage door was open and Rasmussen's BMW was missing. Hmm. There was broken glass in the driveway from a shattered sliding glass door. Hmm. And when he walked into the house, he found Sherry dead in the living room, still wearing her robe and a sleep shirt. Now, uh, the cause of death was three shots to the chest, all of them fatal. Wow. She also had defensive marks and blows to her head that they said, like, one was from a vase and one was from a gun. Um, and she had a bite mark to her left inner forearm. Ooh, evidence. Evidence. Uh, Lazarus was briefly considered a suspect just because of all the issues and the harassment mm -hmm. and everything like that, but... Again, they were like, she's a cop. Oh, she wouldn't do that. No. But so, let's compare the teeth marks just in case. But no, they didn't. Of course. Why would you do that? They did not do it. Um, now, I don't know. Again, this was the 80s, so I don't know if it was a matter. No, it couldn't have been because Bundy got got uh, convicted partially on that, mm -hmm. on teeth prints. So I don't, uh, I don't know why they didn't. They probably could have. Um, but I do know, like, back then, DNA wasn't a big thing. Right. Stephanie continued to work for uh, the LAPD and got promoted through the ranks. She eventually started working for the Commercial Crimes Division and was in charge of all art thefts. Hmm. Um, pretty, pretty outstanding police officer, as far as everyone was concerned. In 2009, cold case investigators decided to reinvestigate the case because it had been cold for so long. They found some female DNA from the bite mark, which kind of threw them off because I think they suspected it was a male. Oh, wow. Um, and once they found out it was female, they went back to looking at Stephanie and they were like, huh, maybe. I can't believe after everything that she contested that was said to her that they wouldn't investigate her. Especially if, like, 
again, she's obviously like got this hopeless romantic entanglement with this guy who does not have the same feelings for her. Like, well, and you know, I go back to in the eighties, they still said women couldn't be serial killers. It, you know, like things were looked true. at differently. And I just think they saw her as a female, as a police officer, and it looked like a breaking gone bad. Mm-hmm. So that's what they attributed it to. There had also, and I didn't mention this, but there had also been a burglary like a couple of weeks before down the street. So yeah, they again, kind of just attributed it all to... To me, that just sounds like lazy police work. I agree. I mean, I feel like they could have done more. Especially since she was a cop. She took advantage of her situation that was happening at the time. She would have known about the robbery and stuff like that, so... Dude, for all we know, she committed the robbery. Exactly. Um, so investigators followed her. They collected evidence with her saliva on it. They got a match. In surprise, surprise. 2012, she went to trial. Uh, she was convicted of murder and sentenced to 27 years to life. She's appealed it, but denied. And uh, she'll be eligible for parole in 2034. I just thought it was cool that years later, I mean, like, what are you talking about? 1986 to 2012? Yeah, I'm glad I, I don't math. Still... Why do I keep trying to math? I gotta <laughs> stop doing that. But, but over I'm 30 glad. Years. Yeah, I'm glad that there are people that still look into... Especially with fresh eyes and no bias to cases like that. Like, still looking into, hey, let's just take another look at this and make sure nothing was missed. And obviously, things were missed. Well, and as evidence, as as technology gets better and everything like that, I mean, it's awesome. Some of the things that are happening in in terms of the law and cases Mm -hmm. right now. Um, Which we are going to cover one right now that is current events nice um okay so the last case i have for you we're gonna talk about joseph d'angelo do you know who that is name sounds familiar uh have you heard of the golden state killer yes that's who this is Ah. so we're gonna talk about him now what you need to know is that in california uh there were multiple different crimes happening over a period of time Mm -hmm. and each they weren't linked so each uh area i guess you want to say had a different name for the spree so he had a couple nicknames uh the vesalia ransacker (laughs) because he would break in Mm -hmm. the original night stalker the east area rapist and it wasn't until later that he was given the name the golden state killer Mm -hmm. by a writer named michelle mcnamara who unfortunately has passed away but she had done a lot of research about him and she gave him that nickname that everyone knows him by Now, 1973 to 1976, D'Angelo was a police officer in Exeter, California. Um, 1976 to 1979, he was a police officer in Auburn, California, and he was fired for allegedly stealing a hammer and a can of dog repellent, which I have questions on, because why, number one, why did you steal a hammer and a can of dog repellent? I can't Mm -hmm. imagine they cost that much money. And number two, I didn't even know dog repellent was a thing. Me neither. Okay, cool. Did not know that was a thing. Yeah, but why would you steal it? I don't know. Uh, In between here, in 1975, he shot and killed Professor Claude Snelling. (laughs) Snelling, my understanding from the story, it was a little convoluted, but my understanding was D'Angelo was attempting to attack his teenage daughter, and Snelling stopped him, so he killed him. Okay. There was no investigation into what the hell happened there. He killed a dude. Yeah, I I don't fully know. I don't think they... I think they investigated, but they didn't find anything. 
Well, I would just be interested, like, what happened? What was causing this guy to attack you? Like, what was this excuse for why he was attacked? Oh, he's just crazy. And I imagine, I hope the daughter survived and she would have had some to say. She did survive. I mean, she unfortunately witnessed her father's death. Um, But I don't, I don't know. I mean, trauma does a lot to people. That's true. So, and if you look, like, I'm going to tell you about all the things that happened with this case, but... If you, the, one of the things was they had multiple different sketches, mm-hmm. and some of them are vastly different. Like, they just don't even look like the same person. Right. But there was at least one that looked spot on like him. Like, you could have put a picture next to it, and it looked just like him. Hmm. Uh, so, 1976 to 1978, there were a number of burglaries and rapes in the Eastern District of Sacramento County. That was where he got the East Area Rapist from. Hmm. 78 to 81, there were multiple crimes, I'm going to tell you. About, I'm going to give you the list because these are the ones that he was most definitely charged with. Alright, so February 1978, Brian and Katie Maggiore were shot and killed while they were walking their dog. What was terrible was Brian uh, was shot first and Katie ran and he caught up to her and killed her. What happened to the dog? It doesn't tell me. Damn. Not everyone cares as much as we do, but I don't think the dog was killed. That's good. Uh, burglaries and rapes continued. In December 1979, Deborah Manning and Robert Offerman were killed. March 1980, Lyman and Charlene Smith were murdered in their home. Charlene was then bound and raped. August 1980, Keith and Patrice Harrington were killed in their home. February 1981, Manuela with, with Hoon was bound, raped, and bludgeoned to death while she was home alone. July 1981, Sherry Domingo and Gregory Sanchez were killed. July 1981 through April 1986, no crimes were committed. There was a five-year span. Huh. Which he we'll, took a hiatus. Which we'll talk about. Okay. And then in May 1986, Janelle Cruz was bound, raped, and bludgeoned. Um, hmm. And that was the last known victim. So let's talk about what he would do. Uh, with couples, he would go in and he would bind the hands of the victims. He would take the husband or boyfriend or whoever... And put glass dishes on his back. Hmm. Um, which, I hate to say, kind of smart. He would do that so that he would take the woman to another room and, and rape her. Mm-hmm. And if he heard the dishes rattle, that would tell him that the person was trying to get away. Oh. And then he would tell them, if I hear the dishes rattle, I'm going to kill you. Got it. So in a way, it's kind of smart. Um, not that I'm saying anyone should do that. Because... I would fucking just rattle the fucking dishes. Mm-hmm. All of these crimes that took place across California, they weren't connected until 2001. They, uh, I think it goes back to communication between departments and not really seeing the links because okay. they were all viewed as individual crimes. Got it. To those areas, you know what I mean? Well, it seems like he has a pretty typical, I mean, he has a pretty consistent M.O., yeah. Break-in, burglarize, rape. Yeah. Murder. I, I mean, mean, I would think so. I don't really get the two people that were just walking their dog. I don't either. That one seemed pretty random. Yeah, like, I don't that know seems, if maybe it was, like... That one, I might have, like, discounted, just because, again, it seemed like these other ones, he actually went into people's homes. And maybe that was, like, a first attempt. And, yeah, maybe he just didn't... You know, it failed yeah. miserably. Um, unfortunately, as much as I say it, like, killers get better with time. Yeah, sadly. 
Um, so, you know, a lot of times when they go out on their first kill, they are very sloppy. Mm-hmm. Uh, so let's see. The, he was found using genealogy. Cool. So they took DNA from the crime scenes and they put it into GED match, which is one I don't know. I don't know that one either. Um, and they located a relative of D'Angelo. D'Angelo this entire time had never been a suspect. Not even once. Um, his name had never come up in the investigation at all. They confirmed with DNA from uh, used tissue that it was his. Hmm. Uh, you know, they follow him around mm-hmm. and take it. Uh, he was arrested in 2018. He pled guilty to 13 counts of murder and th- 13 counts of kidnapping. And the reason he did the plea was to avoid the death penalty. But as part of the plea, he had to admit to multiple uncharged acts including the rapes, because rapes were over the statute of limitations. They couldn't charge him. Um, He blamed his crimes on Jerry, which was a voice in his head that told him to kill people. Really? Yeah. He was sentenced to 12 consecutive life terms plus 8 years for an assault. (laughs) Um, And there were a lot of things that said this was the first high-profile case solved by genetic genealogy, and I don't know if that's true or not. But you know how I feel, like, genealogy cases are awesome. We're probably going to have to cover that at some point. Because they're just finding more and more people through genealogy. Yeah, and I think it's awesome. Because it's something that, uh, you know, a criminal can't control. Yeah. They they can control whether they submit their DNA, but they can't control whether anyone else in their family does. Yep. So, they can still be found. Now, there was a theory about a couple of things, like why he took a break. Um... Obviously, he has not confirmed any of this, and he really hasn't, aside from pleading guilty, like, he didn't really confess to a whole lot, mm-hmm. but he took the guilty plea, and he, uh, he did seem remorseful. Now, granted, who knows, but one thing is, like, there were three days of testimony from the victims and families, and at the end of all of that, he was kind of like, I listened to every one of you, and I'm so sorry for all the hurt I've caused, whether genuine or not, like... I'm sorry. I have a hard time. I have a I mean, hard time. I mean, the man's believing. in his 70s now. Like, well, yeah, but you you killed for so long. And my thing is, so so they have a theory that in 1981, when uh, he killed Sherry Domingo and Gregory Sanchez, Gregory Sanchez was a tall guy and he was big. He was mm-hmm. built, and they think that he fought back and mm-hmm. it scared D'Angelo, and so he stopped because he was worried about getting caught. Yeah. Now they think. In 86, when he killed Janelle Cruz, it was because she was a beautiful young woman, and he saw her and just, just couldn't, couldn't help, himself, help himself, basically. He has no... Con- I love how... And this gets off to another tangent I'm not going to talk about. I love how we excuse these behaviors that they cannot help themselves. Like, I don't know about you, but... It's a I control. I control what I do. Like, my arms and legs just don't go and do things on their own without me being aware of what's happening. I don't, so, I don't understand that excuse, but... Uh, to say that you cannot control is bullshit. Well, my thing is, it, it is very odd for a killer to just suddenly stop. It is very odd. And never commit another murder. Yeah. So, now, these are... This is a fairly recent case. You know, it's only been a couple mm-hmm. of years. So, I wonder if we're going to find out more. I wonder if there were other crimes after that that they just are not aware of. Yeah, um, and it, it's... It is very interesting. It, it, it does make you think, what was he doing in the between time? Like, from 1986 on to when he eventually got caught. 
What was he doing? And from what I, like, everything I was read, he, still he was still in California? Just, I believe so, yeah. And he was just living life, like, being a family man. He had kids, and... That's crazy. Yeah. Could, could you imagine? Grandpa's a killer. I really can't. I, you know, and I'm fascinated by the stories of uh, families of killers. Yeah. And because they're, when you listen to them, like, their uh, impression of these people is so vastly Vastly. different. Exactly. And it's, you see the humanity. Mm -hmm. And then it's like, how do you have that switch? I don't get it. Because I feel like, and I could be wrong, but I am the same with you as I am with anybody else. Right. So. Take me or leave me. Yeah. This is who I am. You get me how I am. I don't have a one personality with you, one personality with my family, one personality with another mm-hmm. friend. Like, I don't have that. I know people do, I but have, I don't. Like, I have my personality, okay? But my personality is not always accepted by everyone. So I, I give as much of my personality to people to the limits that they will accept. And then... I I hold back the rest. And by holding back, I mean, like, I'm not this ridiculous jumping around, hugging stuffed animals type of person. I don't mean, like, I'm behind the scenes murdering individuals. So it's, again, it's more of the social acceptability on what people can handle of, of my personality. So, yeah, there are degrees of how much of my personality some people will get versus others, depending on how well I know them and how accepting they are as a person. But I feel like your general... Uh... But I'm the now, same. Yeah, like your general demeanor, your opinions, yeah. your yeah. thoughts, that's all kind of, it doesn't change for you. But having had a um, relationship with an addict, I don't understand the addicted mind. Because I don't understand how in one breath you can say that you love someone and in the next breath do something that totally you know, slaps that whole concept in the face. Like, addicted parents. Like, how can you go and love your children and want the best for your children and then go take them down the street to go pick up drugs? Like, to me, that is a Jekyll and Hyde. It I is. understand it is. that there's an addiction, and I get that. I just... Because I'm not a person that... I'm not a person who gets drunk. I'm not a person who's into drugs or anything like that that's any kind of mind-altering substance or whatever so i don't understand the lack of control no see but it okay so you're talking about that but that makes me think of suicide and i'll tell you why because think about it if you are depressed now like i think i've said before like i have major depression Mm -hmm. if you're a depressed person and you get to that point even though you love people and you know they'll be hurt it kind of no longer matters it's not that you don't love them anymore I get it, in, but I get it in that case, because as we've discussed before, if you've got issues, take it out on yourself rather than anybody else. So in that respect, it's kind of like taking it out on yourself rather than... But you are really hurting the people around you. I mean, that's the thing. So it's the same idea if you went down the street and got drugs. You love your kids. It doesn't change that you love them, but you, at that moment, can only see that outcome. I think I it's guess, a very impulsive thing, too. I, I, Yeah, I can kind of see that. I guess because I can relate more to the depression. And I, I think, I mean, I have my depression issues as well. So I think it's easy for me to see that side of things. Because, I mean, people, people live, people die. You know, that is life, essentially. That's going to happen during your entire life. And 
you, you move on. You have to. There's no choice in the matter. You have to keep going. So I think in the depressive person's mind, it's like, okay, yes, I'm going to be gone. But you automatically are thinking that that is ultimately a better thing for the people that you're leaving behind. Because I don't know about you, but I ultimately think that my my presence in itself is the negativity. And that yeah. if I could remove the negativity, then these people would be better off. Yes, it may hurt at first, but they will move on because you have to. I see your point. I just think it's all relative. So, like, when, I, when you talk about it with the drugs, it just makes me think about that feeling of in the moment where nothing else is really there. And I think for someone who's addicted, it would be the same idea. So it would be the idea of in that moment, and it's purely selfish. I mean, suicide is too. Yeah. So if you look at it that way, like it is a purely selfish act and it's not that you don't love people, but at that moment, everything kind of fades away. Right, wrong. Yeah. Whatever. Not saying I agree with it. Just that's my thought on it. No, that's interesting perspective. But anyway, so that's our top 10. Yep. So we have reached the end of this week's bi-week, double-week episode. We hope you guys enjoyed and hope you come back next week for a new topic. Bye. Bye. Thank you guys for listening. We have a new Facebook page called Crime Bitches Countdown. Bitches is spelled with the number one because you know you can't say bitches on Facebook. So it's spelled B number one. T-C-H-E-S. We appreciate any comments or feedback you have for us. Leave us a message. We'll get back to you. Um, we also have an email address, crimebitchescountdown at gmail.com. Bitches spell the same way with the, the number one instead of an I. Um, like I said, we appreciate any feedback. Um, we'd love to hear what you think, good, bad, or indifferent. Um, so please feel free to message us. We'll get back to you. Thanks.